everybody and welcome to another edition of the World Football Index Scouting Podcast, where as always I am joined by the Aberdonian fountain of knowledge, Lee Scott. Lee, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. That was quite the introduction, thanks. Oh, I mean, I've been working on it, you know. I mean, if I can call Stevie Grieve the smouldering Stevie Grieve, I can at least give you a wee compliment as well, you know. I well, I mean, sort of, you know, it's, it's almost become a staple of the podcast. How's the weather up at your bit? Believe it or not, it's it's wet outside, but it was snowing earlier on. I mean, I was down, down at work and I was getting all these pictures from my wife, sending me pictures of heaps of snow lying in my house. So, <laughs> thankfully, by the time I got home, it was all gone. I mean, it's been the same here. It's been sort of snowing half a day, and then it sits, and then it rains, and then the snow disappears. But, I mean, as fascinating as that is, let's move on. So, <laughs> I, I, as per usual, we've got another four youngsters to discuss today, some of whom are probably more well-known than others, but all of which have the promise to be among the leading names in world football in the years to come. So, the first player we're going to discuss is Leon's 21-year-old midfielder, Tongi Ndombele. Lee, what can you tell us about him? The, the first word that springs to mind when I think about him is dribbling. Yeah, he's he's a very almost modern midfielder. He, he can play a number of different roles in the centre of the park. He's not actually fully a Lyon player yet. He joined them on loan this summer from Amiens, another team in France. And I believe that he does have a buyout clause in, in his loan deal which is below 10 million euros but as far as I know Leon haven't activated it yet can't quite tell you why because he's been one of their standout performers this year indeed and Dombele is tipped to, to be a surprise inclusion in the French squad for the World Cup that's that's the kind of form that he's been in because that is a, a quite a packed squad of talent so for a 21 year old who is just his first season really a big club it's great to see the way that he's been he's been seen by the French national coach today in the Champ. But yeah, as you say, I think that Ndombele is almost best when he's given licence to to play almost a free role, not in the sense that he's entirely creative or he's not a, a traditional number 10, but you almost don't want to shackle him. He, he's very good in the defensive phase, but when he picks up the ball and carries it through the, the midfield, he's very difficult to stop. He's, he's got those long limbs, almost like his physical um, stature, if you like, reminds me a bit of Patrick Vieira. So whenever uh, an opposition player thinks that they've got the ball away from him, he's just got that habit of, of sneaking in with a long leg and, and touching the ball away. And then before you know it, he's carrying it up the field. There was one phase of play I saw from him earlier on this season and I can't remember who it was against. I was kind of watching a game out of one eye almost and he picked up the ball at the edge of his own penalty area under pressure and suddenly he beat two players and he was just breaking into the midfield and the, the speed that he carried the ball up the field the the other team, the, the opposition just couldn't deal with him. He's definitely a very interesting player. I would be extremely surprised if Leon don't activate his buyout, even if it's just um just a case of them activating it in order to sell him on next summer. Well, let's touch on that last part first, because, uh, like you said, he, he's not actually a Leon player. He, he is on loan from uh, Amion. And, you know, Amion themselves are, you know, they're in Ligue 1 as well, but you know, they're somewhere below Leon in terms of, you know, p- league position and prestige so why did Amion agree to this loan now pay later thing in the first place like is this just a way of sort of guaranteeing themselves money um I mean are, are they like quite a cash strapped club themselves or I mean I, I don't know I mean on the face of it like the whole thing seems a bit strange to me and uh, like you said the fact that Leon haven't just paid the money straight away 
I don't get it because he is that good. So even with this deal in place, the fact that they haven't quite followed through with it yet um, seems strange or as strange as the deal itself. I mean, have you got any insight to this? I think for, for Leon not activating the clause, I think they have up until the end of June. So mm. really, they, they, they can activate it on the 29th of June and the, the deal go through straight away, no problem. So they have time on their side and I, probably a case of waiting to see what their budgets look like with their final place in Liga this season. So I think they're just doing a sensible thing. Um, for Amiens, yeah. I, think, I think you're right in what you say. It's almost a way to guarantee the money. Not that I don't think that it's a guaranteed clause, but it's better almost for Amiens to have the the option of, of Leon picking up this clause. I don't think anybody in France really expected Ndombele to to explode the way that he has. He had a very good season last year for Amiens. I believe that they were in League League Two or League Two. <laughs> My French isn't very good. <laughs> they, they in the second tier of French football anyway, and they got promoted last season. So this is his first full season in top flight. So really, for a young player. You sometimes don't. A young player can have all the potential in the world, but until he starts to actualize that potential, it, it's really just that. It's, it's in the mind's eye more than you know something that you can physically and tangibly see. So for a player like Ndombele, Amiens got a. I'm sure they got a loan fee for him as well as this potential for for another transfer income coming yeah, in. Yeah, I think it was two million euros for the loan in itself, which is a real bargain for for Leon in the end for a mm. player. I mean, he's played 22 times for them this season, so he's definitely been a mainstay in their league and their European side. I can see him perhaps spending another year in France, but I don't think it'll be much longer than that. Lyon are in a cycle just now where they're building again. They tend to to go through peaks and troughs in terms of the talent. So talent acquisition in the form of Bertrand Traore, who's the same from Chelsea, and in terms of Memphis Depay, obviously, from Manchester United, Tanguy Ndombele. But eventually, they're going to have to let these players go. That's just the way that Leon operates. So I think that may, perhaps I'll keep them for one more season to try and have a go at Liga, to try and catch PSG in Monaco. But beyond that, you can you can kind of see them all moving on to the new sides. Now, Ndombele, you mentioned this when we first mentioned the player here, but Ndombele seems to be part of this... Um, like new breed of midfielder, we're not even new breeds. Like you know, you can say new, but it's probably more accurate to say they're more common now than they were before. You know, the, the sort of like central midfield player that has a gift to drift past people through central areas, which I guess is particularly useful when it comes to beating teams that sit in a low block, for example. And players like Andres Iniesta were probably the modern archetype for this position. And then you've got other players like Luka Modric and Moussa Dembele and Naby Keita. Can you tell us a bit more about this role and why it's so useful? And perhaps even how Ndombele has taken this to the next level? Because he doesn't just skip by players. He doesn't just drop a shoulder. Like He's genuinely very skillful. And he does these things with a bit of flair as well. Yeah, he definitely does. I think for... For you and I, obviously, we're Scottish, and a player like Ndombele came through a Scottish academy. I believe he's six foot one, six foot two, something like around there. Mm. He would quickly be pigeonholed in the defensive midfielder slot, and he'd be told that you get the ball, you recycle possession, and that's it. But places like France, like Spain, like Germany, they're, they're kind of taking the more universal view now within their football. It's no longer about specialists, especially in the midfield. So they're looking for players who can who can almost do an, a variety of different things with the ball in and out of possession. I think Ndombele is kind of the perfect embodiment of that at the moment. He's a very good example. But as you touched upon, if, if a team's playing against a low block, the best thing you can have 
is a central player who's able to be a man one on one in position in possession. If a team is in a low block, they tend to sit and they'll man they'll man mark. So everybody will pick up a man. There'll be very little space to move into. So if you've got a player in central areas who's able to beat his man and drive forward straight away, you do two things. First of all, you provoke the defence. So as soon as you beat your man in midfield and move forward towards the final third or towards the penalty area, you provoke a defender to move out of his slot and try to close you down and prevent you from going any further. All that does is create space somewhere else for the ball to be be moved into. So straight away you've got an opportunity to overload in the centre and you can the, the defensive block gets weaker and you kind of have a way through. Secondly, as soon as you, you beat a man centrally, you kind of give the option to spread the play. So if you go past a man in the centre central areas like in Dombley can, like in the Esther could over and over again in the Esther can still do it whenever he wants to. He's just that kind of creative genius on the ball. But indomitably, if he beats a player centrally, the space can open up out wide and all of a sudden you can switch the ball wide, get an overload out wide, get behind the defence and cross it in. So again, you're beating the, the low block. So I think a player like Ndombele, who's a universal player, a universal midfielder, you have enough options that it's very difficult for an opposition coach to set up a defensive game plan kind of to deal with that. Yeah, and the fact that, that Ndombele's got this skill set as well, I think that opens up avenues for his own career, you know, because it's as much as, you know, I, I did say it's more common now than it was before, and, you know, that's true, but it's still not a universal thing. So I, I think that the teams at the highest level that do, you know, like face low blocks, for example, like week in, week out, and they need somebody uh, with that sort of profile to help them break down these defensive units, then I, I think that his obvious ability to do that, it, it could open up avenues in future to, to moves to these sort of clubs. But I mean, like, like we always say with these sort of players, it is very much a sort of one step at a time thing. And yeah. I, you know, you could always say we are just like, we don't help it by doing this podcast and hyping them up, you know, <laughs> but, but, but like the fact remains that I guess that he, he is, and all those other players, like you know, they're on a course and if you stick to that course, it would be very surprising if they didn't end up at Club X, Club Y, Club Z. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but, but finally, and another thing that you mentioned earlier was that he has been tipped to maybe make the, the squad for the World Cup for France. So, I mean, what about, so would you see him mostly being like odd coming off the bench sort of thing? Or, I mean, could you even possibly see him starting? There's a potential that he could. I mean, he's he's definitely got the talent level that he, he can play at that level. He can play internationally, I think. I don't think that Didier Deschamps is exactly a, a coach who's well known for, for giving young players ahead at that level, especially not at the World Cup. I think this summer there'll be a lot of pressure on France. They, they'll go in as one of the favourites just due to the, the depth of talent that they have there. If you, you think of a, a Paul Pogba in midfield, for example, I'm not sure that Paul Pogba and Ndombele would be would be well suited to play next to each other in the midfield, as it were. I no. think they're very similar. You would almost need a Blaise Matuidi, Blaise Matuidi sorry, in there as well. So you, you kind of have the balance and the counterbalance. So you're able to allow Ndombele or allow Pogba to move forward. I personally think that we'll see France go to something along the lines of 4-4-1-1 with Griezmann and behind Giroud this summer, which only leaves two slots in the centre midfield. I'm not sure that particularly suits Pogba. I think Pogba's better suited than a three, um, but he can almost play more advanced. And that's perhaps where Ndombele could come in and he can play that in that two. 
he can play as part of a double pivot, but even then, even from deeper positions, he's capable of getting forward and joining the play. But I think that if Ndombele does make the squad this summer, it will be very much a squad player. He may play his way at the contention as the tournament goes on. You never know what will happen. But it'll definitely be interesting to see and find out. Yeah, especially with, with friendlies coming up next month uh, yeah. and also ahead, the, the, the month prior to the World Cup as well. I guess this is the ideal time for this sort of experimentation to happen. It's kind of it's kind of why they exist, you know. I mean, not not yeah. just to sort of get your main players together and see, you know, get them up a little bit more sharp, but it's it's to also just try these things without the well, I guess sort of like the threat of punishment, you know, because even if it does blow up in your face and you lose a friendly 3-0, it's still a friendly. So hopefully we will see um, Deschamps take on Ndombele and a few of the other players that have been knocking on the door. I mean, even just Lyon alone, I mean, it's, it's far from Ndombele that's the only one there. You know, we could have picked a number of them, but, uh, and, you know, we probably could pick them again in the future, let's be honest. So... Um, but moving on then, uh, our next player is uh, Valencia's 21-year-old Carlos Soler. Um, so tell us a bit about him, Lee. I mean, I remember when he broke through last season and he was instantly linked with the likes of Barca and whatnot. But I'm glad that he stuck around at the Mestalla and he's working under a coach as talented as Marcelino. Yeah, I, th- I think he's done really well to stay there. Um, <clears throat> obviously, Valencia are well known to have financial issues, but Solim, uh, they, they tend to sell on their best players. But this is a club who who developed through the youth system in the, in the last decade. You've seen David Silva and Juan Mata both come through at the Mestalla, and I think that Carlos Soler is almost another player who could come in and, and play in that style. He's by no means a clone of either of them. He's not quite as, as small and, and creative, I think, as, as Silva and Mata. He's more of a, a physical presence in midfield, but he certainly has the, the talent ceiling to, to reach the same levels that they have. I think that he's a product of the Valencia youth system. He's come right through the ranks. He's been closely tracked. I believe that Barcelona were heavily linked to him two years ago. And he, he very nearly made the move and went across to Barca B. But I think he made the right choice of seeing where he is. Um, as you say, under Marcelino, he's getting much more of a chance in the first team this season. And to this point, he's been along with um, Guedes, the, the Portuguese winger that they have on, on loan from PSG. I think that Carlos Soler has almost been one of their key players this season. Yeah, and I mentioned when he broke through last season, and I always remember them being, uh, well, in, in the best way possible, like your, your typical Spanish midfielder. But of late, he seems to have drifted more towards the flanks, like probably due to the likes of like Condogbia joining and uh, Perejo being ahead of him in the pecking order. So, like, can you highlight that aspect of his game at all? Because I'd say, as much as he was more of a central player, I think when he first came through, the fact that he's kind of maybe moved out wide, it does match up with his natural work rate. Yeah, I think so. I think that the, the, the ability for a young player to play in a, a number of different positions, especially when they're trying to establish themselves in the first team, I think that it can only be positive for them. So the fact that Soler has, as you say, came into the team as a centre midfielder, and I think that that is, in essence, what he is and what he will be when he's fully developed and, and established. Yeah. But the fact that when competition came in for those slots and it may be that these players came in with more experience and Marcelino may have favoured that to a certain extent. So the fact that Soler is able to go out and play on the, on the right-hand side is it's only to his benefit, really. I mean, he's by no means a winger. He's he's not a not a traditional winger anyway in the sense he'll get the ball, go past a man and cross the ball in. He's very much more of a link player out in the, the, the wide areas. Almost like David Beckham used to be, if you remember, he'd get the ball and he could take the touch and whip it in, but he's almost 
he's almost more effective when he's playing from outside to in, so you can play the ball inside and, and connect in with the, the central attackers or the central midfielders and just keep the attacking phase going, really. His skill set, I mean, he's, he's excellent in possession, but he's excellent receiving possession in tight areas. He's very, very good at resisting the opposition press, so as you said, he's the traditional Spanish midfielder, so his touch is, is beyond reproach, really. The ball comes into his feet, and that's it. He kills it dead straight away, and he's able to manipulate the ball, so I think that it's it's only good that he can play out wide, but he's certainly not going to be the kind of player who will who will develop into a winger in the long term, I think. Yeah, I would kind of hope not as well, because it, it would almost seem, uh, I think probably just the most basic way I can put it, is it would almost seem like a way you put him out wide, considering yeah. the influence on the game that he could have from a central position. But I mean, like you said, I think it's, it's going to be more of a long-term thing. Just the more he develops, and perhaps the more experience he gets, the more he'll yeah. be quote-unquote trusted in a more central position. You know, because I think um, I think perhaps one of the things that, that's got in the way of him uh, playing more routinely in a central position is the fact that Valencia are actually doing really well this year, yeah. which is um, well, it feels quite anomalous given how chaotic the last few years have been at Valencia. I mean, like you, you touched on it, like they have massive financial implications going on at the club. They've spent really daft money on players they never really particularly needed, or if they did, they just never turned out that well. Then they sold them for a massive loss, etc., and so on. But now I think it's, I think it's almost becoming a perfect storm for Soler, where it's actually, for once, they've, I remember Sid Lowe's has, has written about this and talked about it quite a lot, where he said that for once that basically Valencia have now got rid of all the deadwood out of the, the dressing room. They finally got a, a consistent and talented coach in that feels like he can maybe stay there for at least a year or two rather than being there for three months sacked, you know, and then somebody else comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he seems to be in a, in a very a very healthy environment, which is, you know, it's, it's obviously good for the players, so he was hoping that can continue, but another thing that you mentioned was the fact that Valencia's youth system, or you know, if you want to be hipsters we can call it the Cantera uh, you know, it's, it's obviously a hotbed for talent and you know, we could sit here all day just lifting off name after name after name, but I mean a few of them, David Silva Jordi Alba, Paco Alcázar even Isco um, so I guess my question here is well, what makes Valencia's youth system so special and so prolific because it's it's, perhaps, it's definitely not as famed as Barca's La Masia and even Real Madrid's La Fabrica gets probably more plaudits, I would say, even if they don't necessarily graduate to the first team, they still, you know, create very good players that, that prosper elsewhere. So what is it that makes Valencia's so good? I think that one of the main things that, that Valencia have that perhaps Barcelona and Real Madrid don't, I, I think that La Masia and La Fabrica are, are great examples of, of youth systems or Conteras that, that are successful in their own right but I certainly think that you can take Valencia's and, and hold them up to that because if you look at the talent output that, that Valencia have produced it's at least on a par I think with both those sides at the moment and as I say and I think that the, the the one thing that Valencia could really be said to offer that the others don't is a pathway to the first team yeah definitely so, Essentially, I mean, as you said, La Fabrica, Real Madrid, a lot of the time they'll they'll develop players who will go on to have very good careers elsewhere, either in Spain or in Europe. Even Barcelona, when was the last time a, a La Masia product really came through and, and made a significant impact at first team level? It's been a while. I mean, Sergio Roberto probably, hasn't it? Aye, possibly, or Rafinha, Thiago's mm. brother, who's just been sold on to Milan now. So, Hi. so, so really, 
in the last little while, the last five years or so, it's kind of run dry a little bit, that pathway, whereas Valencia are, are very well known for, for giving young players a chance. <clears throat> There's also Santi Mina, who's another wide attacking player who Valencia have, have promoted this season from the youth system. Um, they've got another couple of young players who really shone for, for Spain in the youth tournaments over the last summer. So these players know that if they stay at Valencia and they put the time in and they do as their coaches are asking them to do, then they will eventually get the chance in the first team at Valencia. And the Valencia fans are known to, to really appreciate these players. A homegrown player for any club, I think, is is huge. I mean, you look at Harry Kane at Spurs and the way that he's seen by, by fans, for example. So yeah. Valencia fans are known to be amongst the most passionate in Spain and, and they love a Cantera product coming at the first team even if they're not the, the same player as a David Silva or a Juan Mata. But I think that Sole is just the latest, a long line of, of young players who, who've been given that chance at first-team level and have taken it. Absolutely. And, and hopefully, um, like we said, it seems Valencia are perhaps a little better run these days than they have been in recent years. Because I think if there was one thing that sums up Valencia in recent years, it's the fact that they let Isco go for €6 million. Euros. Like, <laughs> yeah, there you go. That, Unbelievable. I'm going to leave that there. Right, let's move on. Uh, uh, As we record this, uh, Basel are actually playing Manchester City right now. So we hope our next player hasn't been sent off, scored a long goal, or has just been rubbish in general. But I mean, I guess we'll find out. Uh, The player we're going to discuss is uh, Basel's 20-year-old Swiss forward, Dimitri Oberlan. So talk to us about him, Lee, and what it is that makes him so exciting. Well... This is a player, and I think that Grant, we should maybe break the fourth the fourth wall of podcasting at the moment. And oh, we only we only decided to include Oberlin just a couple of couple of hours ago now. Yeah. Before this, uh, just so the listeners know, we didn't have any Red Bull players in in this podcast. But now <laughs> with with Oberlin with Oberlin's inclusion, we now have a player who's in the, the Red Bull system. So uh, I suppose the tradition of the podcast continues. <laughs> it seems you'd be speaking about them every time we we come on. I expect a few Red Bull in the post any day now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It could be just just a trip over there to see their academy. That would do me. Aye, aye. Oh, Oberlin is um is a, is a forward player. He's a striker, and he's very much a striker. He can play wide, but I really think that his value and his future as he develops is going to be as a central forward. He's actually Cameroon born, but he plays as national football for Switzerland. He came through originally at FC Zurich of Switzerland before he was identified by these these talent scouts that Red Bull seem to have that pick up all the best young talent at the moment. Their, their talent identification system is just second to that of football just now. And he was signed by by Red Bull Salzburg at that time. After a loan period in, in Austria, I think he went to Rheindorf Altach for a year but never really set anything on fire. He was loaned back to Switzerland but with Basel. Now obviously... Anybody who's been watching the Champions League over the last decade or so, everyone knows Basel, they're the preeminent Swiss club. And the fact that Oberlin's gone in there and he's looked right at home straight away, I think that he really came to, to people's attention earlier on this season, the Champions League game against Benfica when he scored a goal. It was in transition, a quick counter-attack from Basel. <clears throat> I forget who had the ball on the right wing quickly. I think we cleared a corner kick. All of a sudden, in the centre of the field, all you saw was this figure for Basel coming through the middle, and the speed that he was moving at was just unreal. And that was Dimitri Oberlin. His his main asset is his extreme pace. He's one of the quickest players that I've ever seen, but he's quick with the ball as well as without the ball, which is 
quite unusual. Normally, when players get possession of the ball, no matter if they're a quick winger or a quick forward, they'll slow down just to maintain control, but he's extremely quick. He's also a goal scorer, so I don't think he'll be at Basel much beyond this season, put it that way. Well, that's another thing I was going to actually ask about was the fact that, yeah, as you already mentioned, you know, he sort of started in Switzerland, but then he got picked up by the the Red Bull Network, shall we say, and now he's back in Switzerland. So, like, well, what was the thinking there? Like, what? Why not just keep him at Salzburg? Not sure to be honest. I, I know that he's highly thought of by by the staff at Salzburg, but Red Bull Salzburg at the moment have four forwards who are competing for. They, they tend to play with two forwards, so uh, they play a, a version of 4-4-2 or 4-2-4. So there would have been a, an opportunity there for him to get some minutes, but I think the chance for him to go to a club like Basel, where he'll experience top coaching at a club like that, he'll, he'll get significant first-team minutes. I mean, I think that so far this season, he's right up there for Basel in terms of the amount of football that he's played. He's played 16 games in the Super League as well as, if you think, six Champions League games. The experience a player can get doing that can be, at the age that he is at the moment, that can be invaluable. And the fact that he's already got four Champions League goals in those six games kind of points to the fact that he's definitely one to watch going forward. And I, I guess that, well, Red Bull Salzburg fans might kind of hate me for like wording it like this, but do you think there's maybe a, a recognition within the Red Bull group that being at Basel might actually be at a higher level than being at Salzburg, especially when you consider the uh, the Champions League games that are going to be playing? So do you think maybe part of it was that they did loan him out to FC Basel? Because it's almost like without putting him out to Leipzig, this is another way of maybe getting them to a, a higher, more competitive level. Or do you, is, is that a bit unfair? I can definitely see the argument, but before before he was loaned out, Red Bull were Red Bull Salzburg were still in the Champions League. They, That's they, true. Were, they were knocked out this season again in the qualifying rounds before they went into the Europa League. But I think that personally, I think there's very little difference in in quality between the the Swiss League and the Austrian League. I think they're they're not only neighbours and geographically, but I think in terms of quality of European leagues, they're very much very much of a, a muchness almost. But I think that the fact that he would get exposure at first-team football and get all these minutes does well, I think that that's kind of the, the reasoning behind the loan. Next season, I fully expect that he'll be back at Red Bull Salzburg and then we'll see if he's going to push on and, and you know head towards the, the natural development line that they have there or whether he will be a very good player for, for Salzburg going forwards. Well, there you go. So any hate mail about that question directed towards me because Lee is very kind. Yeah. <laughs> right, so uh, again, another thing you mentioned was, uh, you know, he has been used all across a front threes, for example, but his best position really is the nine, isn't it? Because sometimes young forwards, especially ones with pace, and I mean, let's face it, this guy's got pace and a half, you know, uh, they do sometimes get shunted out wide by default but I mean, just by watching them, I'd, I'd say his instincts in and around the area are, are well suited to being a goal scorer no matter what his starting position is Yeah, I think that's key I think that, I mean, you're right, there is a tendency for a club when they're, they're promoting young players either through their transfer dealings or through the, the club's academy, when a young forward comes into the first team and he's got pace and he might have a trick, then there's a tendency kind of to push them out to the wide positions almost 
as if to say you can go out there and learn, you can make a mistake out in the wide areas and it's not going to be as costly if you make a mistake in the penalty area and perhaps miss the chance to finish. I mean, we've seen it with Marcus Rashford at Manchester United. For me, he's a centre-forward all day long and I would imagine if he gets a chance and he's going to be a significant centre-forward in the world football for the next 10 years, but Jose Mourinho prefers to play him out in the wing where he's quick and he's got a trip but that's not a position (laughs) (laughs) and I think that I think that Dimitri Oberlin's exactly the same I think as you say it's knowledge in the box it can be difficult as well sometimes it stands for any player in any position one of the things with youth development when you have a player with an extreme physical profile so a Dimitri Oberlin with his pace a Diot Apamecano another Red Bull player with his, his physique, there's a tendency almost for them not to develop fully tactically or technically because they're able to almost rely on their, their physical capacity. So at every youth level, they're always a step ahead because they're quicker, they're stronger than the opposition. And, and that becomes something they rely on and something coaches tend to shy away from from almost overloading the technical or tactical aspect because you might take away from their physicality slightly. But I think that with a player like Dimitri Oberlin, I think that he has got that tactical understanding. He's as much as he's quick, he, he's really, really fast, rapid, great in counter attacks. He plays very well across the width to the penalty area, which is where you want. That's where a striker's instincts come in. That kind of short, sharp movements away from a defender, the ability to take advantage of a defender not paying full attention, to drift off for just that one or two steps, you know, on the blind side of the defender. And that can be all the all the opening a player needs. So he has got that in his game. It'll just be a case of whether he can translate that to the higher levels as he goes. Now, I find it faintly ridiculous that he hasn't been capped yet for Switzerland. Now I get it because it's it, you know it's only been fairly recently you could say like but largely this season that he's been playing that level and stuff. But surely with these friendlies coming up, he's going to get a cap. I mean, he has to. Because I'm not, I'm not having another World Cup or any sort of international tournament where I'm sitting there watching Switzerland, going, "Oh, they're quite good," and I need to watch Seferovic miss chance after chance <laughs> after chance. So, I mean, surely, surely this guy's going to get a few caps. I, I don't think he can be far off. I mean, Switzerland are a, a very, a very capable team, but I don't think they're anything different to what we've seen before. And you're right. They can, they can be fantastic to watch and they've got some really talented players in certain positions but then they've always kind of fallen down in the forward areas I mean, that changed a little bit with Brie Limbolo, the, the Schalke attacker, ex-Basel player he broke down an injury last season knowing he's only just feeling his way back at the Schalke first team so I think he's got a bit of a race to prove that he's ready for the World Cup I think that if I was the Swiss coach going into a World Cup, I would have a player like Dimitri Oberlin in the squad, purely not necessarily as your first choice, but as a player you can take on when the game's stretched. So if you're playing against a team and it's still drawn going into the, the later stages of the game, you put Oberlin on and you completely stretch the opposition out with his pace. I think that the value that he gives you just in those situations is worth a place in, in the squad. Aye, so, and, and look now who they've got in the World Cup group. I mean, they've got Brazil, who kind of, a lot of the time, will have a tendency to play like a higher line. So, I mean, you could imagine something like him coming on off the bench, at least, and playing against that. Like, you know, high line plus his pace and ability equals, I mean, that could equal results, let's put it that way. So, um, 
Yeah, that, that 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 could be something to look at for sure. Right. Well, our, our fourth and final player of the evening. Um, well, I mean, it would have to be a German, wouldn't it? Because it wouldn't be a scouting <laughs> podcast without one. So, the latest fruit of Dash reboot is Bayer Leverkusen's Kai Havertz. Now, Havertz has broken a few records in his time at Leverkusen. You know, he became the youngest ever. Uh, Bundesliga debutant when he was barely 17 and then some months later he became the youngest ever Bundesliga goal scorer so you know go on then give us a lowdown I mean he's often compared to Mesut Ozil and I I can see the comparison but I almost feel like that comparison wouldn't exist if he wasn't left footed (laughs) yeah that that, that could be accurate I think in terms of his playing style and and the way that he he acts within the team I think he's almost more of a, a Leon Goretzka the Schalke midfielder who's just yeah. signed for Bayern Munich, there's more of that to his game. But I genuinely think that Kai Havertz is potentially the most talented player that we've discussed in these podcasts so far. Um, it's oh. very, very rare that you get a player with his just natural ability to play the game, his his football IQ is through the roof as it is for a lot of German players. I mean, he'll be another one. I mean, you, you said Das Reboot, which is obviously the, the title of the Raphael Honigstein book, which is extremely good if anybody hasn't read it. But going, going back to the way that German football restructured itself, kind of when they were at a low point internationally and, and the introduction of all these regional centres of excellence that, that trained players that you're now seeing populating the Bundesliga and the German national team. And he is another product of that. The fact that he, I mean, you said he was the youngest, one of the youngest deputants and goal scorers in the Bundesliga, and that's just the tip of the iceberg for this player. He he kind of has it all there. He's he's a central midfielder. Again, a bit like Ndombele, he's a central midfielder who's capable of, of playing universally, so he's, he's comfortable either in the attacking phase or the defensive phase. I, I think he's probably happier going forward. I can see him developing a player who plays off the striker he's got that kind of touch and creativity about him but at the same time he's more than capable of playing a defensive block and he's very good at reading the opposition and and cutting off passing angles and passing lanes and preventing the opposition from playing through and for a player so young his tactical IQ is just through the roof yeah absolutely and uh... I think again, kind of what I said about Soler earlier on, where he's like, you know, well, he's a typical, typical sort of Spanish midfielder. I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Where he is, he's not only a product of this new sort of German thinking; he is the absolute epitome of it. He's brilliant. And the fact that I'm actually, well, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised because we've talked about some really good players in this podcast. But um, the fact that you said that he might be the most naturally talented or the best, however you want to put it. Yeah, I guess I could go along with that because he is only 18. Like, is he like eight, not even 18 and a half at the moment. So he's, he's born in the summer, so uh, so be 19 this summer. And he's already been linked with, I mean, well, I mean, everybody, I suppose. But <laughs> obviously Bayern, I suppose. But um, I guess the main one would be uh, Liverpool as well. I've been, I've been quite heavily linked with him and his teammate, uh, Julian Brandt. Um, so... Do you think that he would prosper in that kind of system? Let's, let's, let's just theoretically say he did go to Liverpool, or at the very least he played under a very similar system. I mean, yeah, do, do you think he could thrive in that sort of environment? I think so. Um, another, I mean, you, you don't you don't play first-team football at his age and you don't make the impact that you have unless you've got a very strong personality. And I think that almost, 
as much as the football inside of it's important, don't get me wrong, of course it is. You have to be able to play the game before you can slot into any of these systems or make a move to a foreign country. But the maturity and the the ability of a, a young player to adapt and to take in new experiences and still go on and play his game, I think that's where the key lies. So normally when you're talking about a player of Havertz's age, um, you would be talking about him staying put, staying at Leverkusen for for another two or three seasons. But really, I think that such as the his ability, his natural ability, I think that he'll be, it'll be very difficult for Leverkusen to justify keeping a hold of him when the big clubs really come to, to the table with the kind of money that they'll be able to bid for him. And I can see him making the move. But we're, we're kind of in an era just now, and, and this happens a lot within German football as well as other European leagues, where you get a team like Leverkusen, all of a sudden they very quietly amass a, a lot of good, talented young players, and they kind of make a run. So they've built themselves up at the moment from a very poor season last season, and now they've got players like Leon Bailey, the, the Jamaican oh, attacking winger. So who, good. Yeah, he's just a human highlight reel. You've got Benny Hendricks, the, the right back or central midfielder. He's he's very much a Joshua Kimmich clone um, from Bayern Munich, the fact that he can play either role just as well. You've got a, num- a number of other young players, Julian Brandt, as you touched upon. So they've got a very young core at the moment, Leverkusen, and there might be a temptation for them to say, stay here one more year. They're looking like they've got a good chance of qualifying for the Champions League for next season. So maybe stay one more year and see what we can do next year. Well, that's what I was going to say is the fact that it, it kind of it, it might hinge on how to do this year because as much as the the Bundesliga uh, title race is, is dead and buried, you know, and despite how Bayern started the season, they're just they're so far ahead now. It's it's, it's not even funny. But like, but all the teams behind them are, are really tightly packed. So you, you you would you would think that um that if they could get in a Champions League spot because like I said it's not as simple as the fact that they would maybe want to keep these players because of course they would want to keep them but there is also the thing about I mean is their value actually going to get much higher here we maybe should cash in but I think if they did get a Champions League next season there would almost be a, a, a thing from the players themselves thinking you know what yeah let's, let's stay here and play Champions League football because it's not like we need to leave and get that but um well, like you said, they've got they've got Brandt, they've got Bailey, they've got Havertz, obviously, they've got Henriks, etc., and so on. Um, so there are a number of you know very talented youngsters at Leverkusen who are flourishing. But what is it that makes or that, or that has made Leverkusen such fertile ground recently? Because, like I said, like the, the, the inconsistency of performances in recent years. I mean, like up and down the table, like they were so bad last year, like just so inconsistent. But the year before that, they qualified for the Champions League. So, despite all this uncertainty, I mean, what is it that's made Leverkusen such a good place to to develop as a player? I think that a, a large part of the um, a large part of the praise should go to Heiko Herrlich, the current Leverkusen coach. He's a, for those of you who don't remember, he's a former German international striker who was in his own right. He was a very good player in his day. He's came in this season. Last year was a, a complete disaster for Leverkusen. They they started very badly and they fired their coach, Roger Schmidt, who was largely responsible for the, the very good form the season before. And they made a couple of questionable moves in terms of coaching and, and the way forward that they were going. So this summer, the, the director of football, Rudi Vola, another Great, great German striker from yesteryear. They kind of took a step back and looked at the way that they wanted the club to develop, and they identified Herrlich as the successor to 
to Schmidt really to come in permanently and take the club on. And that was despite Hurley not really doing anything in professional coaching before. So the, the fact that he's been able to come in and he's put a positive almost atmosphere in the, in the changing room. And then you've got the perfect storm of all these players coming together. I mean, last season, Leon Bailey was at the club, but he he barely made an impact at all. And now this season, you're talking about um, a player who I've seen linked to the, the Ballon d'Or in the future, you know. He's kind Next of got that, argument, Robin. Yeah, he's kind of got that. I mean, he, I, I've got a very, very strong suspicion that Bayern Munich are going to come in and try and buy him. And, and that, that would just, <laughs> I'll be amazed if they don't. I? <laughs> I, I don't know what will happen at German football if they're able to keep going the way they're going. And if they did pick up Leon Bailey to... I mean, Arjen Robin and Frank Ribéry, both players are kind of coming towards the tail end of their careers. There's a very real chance that they'll look to replace at least one of them in the summer. And if they're able to turn around and slot in a Leon Bailey into that role, then God help the rest of the Bundesliga. But uh, <laughs> I, I think, Celtic. <laughs> uh, exactly. I, I do think that a large part of it is just the fact that they're in a perfect storm at the moment. These things happen. Sometimes a club builds to a point where they've amassed a, a certain level of talent and for that for that window of time, they're able to play together at a high level before the team starts to get broken up. And even though Leverkusen are are backed by, you know, a mega conglomerate and pharmaceutical company, they they're still not at the financial level that some of these English sides are, or are Real Madrid, or Barcelona, Bayern Munich, or PSG. And these are the kind of clubs that are going to be coming in for Kai Havertz in the next year or two. How how do you see his international future developing? Because Obviously, are we? I was going to say we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but are we really? Because, like we said, we, despite his age, he is that good. So it feels like, even though Germany, much like Spain, they're a country just blessed with just ridiculous depth when it comes to you know positions in midfield related to talent. Now, how long do you think it will be until he basically breaks into that? Because He's got some some roadblocks in front of him, to say the least. So, I mean, it's almost unfortunate in a strange way that he is German, you know. But equally, I mean, he is surely good enough that it's, it's not going to be too long before he can actually break in there. Absolutely. I mean, I think the fact that he's only 18, he has got time on his side. Mm. But at the same time, I think that in the next qualifying campaign, so after this World Cup, I think that we'll start to see Kai Havertz's name linked around the squad. I don't think it'll be long before. I'm not entirely convinced that Lowe is still going to be the German coach going into the next qualifying phase. But whoever the coach is, I think it'll be very difficult to ignore a Kai Havertz. I mean, yes, he's got roadblocks in front of him. I think the biggest roadblock is the player that I likened him to, I think Leon Goretzka. I yeah. think the then would occupy similar areas in the field. But if you look closely at the squad, like the Sami Kadira. The likes of um, Christoph Kramer. Uh, Kramer, I don't think, has the quality of Havertz. And Sammy Kadera, I think, between injuries and age, I think that he's kind of coming to the, the end of his international career. So I think that there will be a chance for Kai Havertz to come in along with Emily Chan of Liverpool, along with Leon Goretzka, soon to be a Bayern Munich. I think that these are kind of the, the young players. Julian Vagel from, from Dortmund's another one. So... Germany are definitely blessed with a lot of talented young players, but this young player, Havertz, is, his talent is such that he won't be able to be ignored for long. You won't be able to keep him at the youth level, despite, I mean, unlike currently, the last two or three years, it's been different for England. They, they've kind of developed more of a, 
a tendency to keep players at youth level and to keep squads together and give them a chance of winning together at that level, which we saw in the last summer, which was great for them. But this is something that Germany have done for, for decades now. They, they will keep players, uh, for example, Havertz will play in another 21 European Championships, whether he's in the first team squad or not. So kind of you have that ability for him to to play up at the, the senior level and come back down to play amongst players his own age. So for his development, I don't think that international football will be a barrier to him. Oh, I mean, I'm not at all jealous listening to this as a as a Scotland fan, you know. <laughs> like the, this, the, this degree He's of organisation. He's a poor man's Barry Barron. I can't, oh, that's true. Fair play. <laughs> I can't even like it myself. Anyway, right, so, that, so that, that's us for this podcast. I mean, that's it's, it's yet another four brilliant players that, uh, I mean, I, I knew stuff about them, but like, I've obviously learned a lot more listening to you, Lee, so thank you very much for that. Um, we'll have another four next time. I mean, like I say, we've got a, a long, long list. I mean, if there's anybody that, that the listeners would like to recommend, I mean, please don't hesitate to get in touch. And if you'd like to know how you get in touch, well, this is how you get in touch with Lee. So, Lee, tell us your Twitter, um, tell us about the website, all that good stuff. Uh, my my um, Twitter account is at FM Analysis, and if anyone wants to get in touch, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Obviously, if you want to read any of my work or any of the work for the guys that I, I work alongside, then visit esdfanalysis.com. It's our, our website that we put together. We just had our year birthday, actually, so just over a year ago, we put the site together now, and some of the, the content and quality that have gone up from some of our writers is just... It blows me away, so definitely check it out if you get the time to. Uh, it's, a, it's a great site. I say it every time, but it really is a great site, so please check it out. As for myself, uh, I am on Twitter at Ordnage, that's O-D-N-E-J. You can follow World Football Index at World Football I. Please check out worldfootballindex.com. There's some really, really good articles we've up there recently, um, ranging from, well, I mean, everything, to be honest, to the usual um, roundups of Serie A and, and the like, but we also had a piece um, from somebody that was living in Vietnam um, when the Vietnam um, under-23s reached their final recently and uh, it's a phenomenal piece of writing so I would recommend you check that out and obviously we've got the South American podcast all that good stuff so yeah thank you for listening Lee thank you for being here no worries thank you Grant and we'll catch you next time